If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23 this morning in the precious Word of God, and uh, it's good to be back in the Lord's house. You know, words are important. What we say is important. In fact, we use words to communicate with our friends. We use words to communicate in the workplace. We use words to communicate with our family. Truly in the world of business, if we just think in the world of business alone, words are used in the transaction of deals. More recently, all you have to do is look at the news and you see that words are being used by everyone. In fact, yesterday, politicians were using words to convince those in Nevada that they were the best choice to be the president. That was a weird laugh. <laughs> weird laugh. <laughs> on average, did you know this? On average, we speak 16,000 words a day. And here's the reality. Ladies, you're on the high side of that average. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Yvonne and Diana. Men... We tend to be on the lower side of that average. <laughs> I did not know I was going to start a riot with those comments. For those who are counting, that's over 112,000 words a week. Think about it. Words are so vitally important. 112,000 words a week, more than 5 million words a year. I'm tired just thinking about it. If you should live, as Moses said in his prayer of Psalm 90, to be three score and ten, that's 70 years, over a 70-year period, that means that you and I will speak. Are you ready for this? Are there any saints who are over 70 years of age? Thank you, Ernie. You're the honest one here. Everyone else says, I deny it. I'm not 70 yet. That's over 350 million words. That's scary. We have a lifetime of words. Obviously, we have a lot to say, and most of the time, we don't have a problem of saying it, do we? Have you ever just thought, well, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to let her know how it really made me feel. Oh, we like using words. The problem is that sometimes we are, how should I say it, we're careless with our words. We're careless with what we say. And to be honest, been there, done that, probably could write a little mini novel on it. We're careless with what we hear. We're not only careless with what we say, we're careless with what we hear. See, we forget what we have said yesterday. Some of us say, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. What do you mean, what did I say yesterday? We forget what we say yesterday, and, and on the same end, we have forgotten what we have heard. Many times, I'll ask the children come out of youth ministry, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was asking what they had heard on Wednesday night. And Josh was teaching. And one young man 
was able to tell me what he had heard. I said, well, what does that have to do with the Bible? No, I didn't, I didn't, no, I didn't. He just didn't hear me. But anyway, I said, I said, what does that have to do with the Bible? All right, no, 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 he actually, he told me that Josh was talking about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. And it was amazing to me that a young man, a teenager, was able not only to hear, but he was able to regurgitate to me what he had heard. Sadly, sometimes we walk out of God's house and we have lunch, and about two hours later, say, what did your pastor preach on that? I don't know. Why, why are you asking me what he was talking about today? What's that business of yours? See, we forget. Typically, the only exception for this rule is when we know, watch this, when we know that a person is dying. For some reason, we think that as a person is getting ready to exit this life and enter into the next life, we think that maybe that might be something important worth listening to. Can I tell you what a sad state of affairs if we're waiting for someone to die to hear what they're going to say, the last thing they say. Oh, listen, we have to be careful with what we say, careful with what we hear. I think about during those agonizing hours, when Jesus was on the cross, he's suffering on the cross. If you look at it in totality, he spent most of his time suffering in silence. However, there are seven separate occasions when Jesus spoke. And he made some significant statements while on the cross. And they still resonate loudly today. And so whether you're a Christ follower you're here and you say, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, or whether you're here or you're listening online and you say, I'm not a Christ follower, I encourage you to join me over the next several weeks on this journey as we make our way to Easter to hear, maybe once again or maybe for the first time ever, the words of our Lord and Savior while He was being crucified for the sins of the world. Look with me in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. Notice what the word of God has to say. And it says, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. Drop down to verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors that led, him, uh, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they were crucified. They crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen one of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. What an amazing passage of scripture. 
And if you were to go back and notice, just verse number 34 obviously is what we're going to pinpoint on today. But if you were to notice verse 34, we see that the very first significant saying of Jesus while he's on the cross is all, all, all about forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty thankful that even while he's being crucified for the sin of the world, the first thing that was on his mind, the thing that was in his heart was forgiveness. Oh, the English word forgiveness comes from the word forgive. And it's a word that's borrowed from the world of commerce and finance. And, and basically, it's a money word, if you please. And so in the secular Greek world, here's what it meant. It meant the cancellation of a debt. The pardoning of a loan. This is what it meant. And so Jesus is using this word when he prays to the Father to forgive. He essentially is saying, Father, cancel the debt. Cancel it. Wipe it out. Forgive the debt. How amazing is that? I think about it in this way. If you and I were to go today and we were going to go to a bank or a lender and we took out a loan, which I'm not going to do. By the way, I'm not going to do it when we renovate this building or put a steeple on the top. We're not going to be taking a, a loan. We'll pay for it as we go. Amen? Amen? Thank you for your vote of confidence. I remember... When, when we first came and I became the pastor and we were finishing upstairs, I had someone tell me, oh, just take a loan for crying out loud and get her done. I said, why don't you take a loan and get her done? <laughs> See, if you and I were to go and take a loan out, there's an expectation, is there not? The expectation is that when I sign my name on the line for a loan, the expectation is that I'm going to pay you back. How amazing. They're crucifying Jesus. They owe a debt they cannot pay. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Cancel the debt. Because they don't have a clue as to what they are doing. Listen, this example of biblical forgiveness is, is a reminder to you and me that forgiveness is an act of grace. It's undeserved. It is not based on my merit. It's not based on my wallet. It's not based on my service. It is based on the love, 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 love of Jesus. Man, I might get worked up. I haven't preached in two weeks. It arises out of his love. See, if we love, and here's the thing. I love to talk about love with my funny little honey. She's not funny. The only thing that's funny is that she chose to love me. It's amazing to me. But we love to talk about love. Uh, we love to talk about forgiveness. We actually even celebrate forgiveness. People get excited when we sing about forgiveness. I see people, yes, yes, thank you for forgiveness. We get all pumped up about forgiveness. And yet, after all, by the way, after all, forgiveness is something that we all want, right? I dare say forgiveness is something that we all demand. When we have a crossword with a coworker, when we say something that we, don't, that we know that we shouldn't say, you know, we got the foot in mouth syndrome, and we tell our husband, we tell our wife, say, I didn't mean it, please forgive me. 
we're all quick to talk about and demand forgiveness for ourselves, but sadly many times it becomes the very thing that we deny to give or afford to others. We're like, I want you to forgive me, but don't ask me to forgive you. Oh, what a society we live in. But let me say something bold. I actually highlighted it. Let me say something bold. Extending forgiveness is not something that comes naturally. It's not something that comes naturally. You know what comes naturally? Revenge. What comes naturally is, I'm, oh, okay. Okay, you want to do that to me? I got you. I got you. I got you marked. And I go on with my life. And then when John needs my forgiveness, I say, no. You remember what you did? Look, let me pull this out. You did this to me. So I'm holding on to it as a little poker chip here. I'm going to hold on to it as a little reminder that I'm not going to forgive you. How crazy is that? Jesus is being nailed to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, when Jesus addresses the subject of forgiveness, it's done within the context of prayer. Over in Luke chapter 11, in fact, in verse number 4, this is where the disciples come to Jesus, right? And they're asking him how they should pray. And so Jesus is giving them a model, so to speak, of prayer. He also does this in Matthew chapter 6, also in, in Mark chapter 11. And here in Luke 11, he's giving them a model. And notice in verse number 4, he says this. This is amazing. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. But here's the thing, if you're not careful, you don't notice it. But Jesus says, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Here's the implication. He says, as we're forgiving others, Lord, forgive us. He didn't say, Lord, forgive me so that I'm able to go and forgive somebody else. He says, as I forgive others, forgive me. Right? And so look here. Also, Matthew uh, chapter 6, this is how he says it again. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Notice the progression of the text. But, verse 15, but if you forgive men not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If that's not enough, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said it this way. He says, and when you stand praying... Forgive if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Every time he's speaking of forgiveness, he's doing so in the context of prayer. Back in verse 34 of our text, Jesus simply cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He shows you and he shows me and he shows every one of us that prayer and forgiveness go hand in hand. And I've set you up. Because here's the big, here's the big rub with this. If you're not good at praying, please pay attention. If you're not good at praying, most likely you're no good at forgiving. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive us our sins as we forgive also, as we're forgiving those who are indebted to us. 
when you stand praying, forgive others so that your heavenly Father will be able to forgive you. If we are not good at praying, then chances are we're not good at forgiving. Oh, what an amazing thought. You see, if we don't like to pray, and by the way, I always say this many times, I say we don't pray because we don't pray. We don't pray because we don't pray. People don't come to the altar to pray. People don't pray at the pew. People don't pray in their secret closet many times. And the reason is because we don't do it. And see, if we, if we all of a sudden start praying, you have to start with repentance. You have to say, Lord, I'm sorry for not praying. And so what we do in our pride is we say, well, I just won't pray. God's, God's grace is sufficient. No, we've got it backwards. We need to be on our knees. We need to uh, assume the position of humility and be praying. Listen, as we pray, what we're saying to God is, God, I understand that my thoughts, my ways, and my ideas are not your thoughts, ways, and ideas. God, in my mind, I think I want to get revenge. But when I pray, I see that what you want me to do is actually forgive. Oh, how desperate we need to be men and women of prayer. It was the British writer and lay theologian C.S. Lewis who put it correctly when he said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I am helpless. And then he said these words, I pray because it changes me. You see, sometimes we're the ones that need to be changed. Not the person who has offended us. Not the person who needs forgiveness. Remember, the natural mind tells me that I cannot forgive this person. I cannot let this person off the hook. But when I pray, God reminds me that when I actually forgive someone, I'm the one that is being set free. Sometimes we hold on to grudges. We hold on to anger. We hold on to bitterness and hatred. And we get this face. I'm so mad about this. And meanwhile, the person has no clue that you're upset. They're like, they're like at bedtime, they're like, mm, mm. and you're laying awake at night. Oh, oh, if I have to go to work with that person one more day, I'm going to scream. And then if I have to live next door to this neighbor who just treats me terrible, I'm going to be. Oh, oh, oh. And that person is like, who does a nice sleep? When we forgive, we set ourselves free. We've got it backwards. Someone has suggested that Jesus may have actually, are you ready for this? I was reading a number of commentators, and one commentator said this. He said that Jesus probably made this statement as they were nailing him to the cross. As they were nailing his hands to the cross and his feet to the cross, he's like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How amazing is it in his pain and suffering he becomes our high priest and begins petitioning and pleading with the Father. How amazing is it that in the midst of his suffering, Jesus seems to feel the weight of what they, look at verse 34 again, guys, if you throw it up there, what they had done to themselves more than the wounds or pain that they have caused him. He says, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they've done to themselves. They may be nailing me to this cross, but they're the ones that need forgiveness. Oh, while hanging on the cross, Jesus is more concerned with the forgiveness of others. And by the way, that was always the case. 
In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 21 and following, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye, that means us, should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Guess what, folks? God is keeping the record. You don't need to. We're, we're all about the records. We love keeping records. Mm, my wife has offended me 42 times. And I'm keeping track of it. And when I don't get my way, I let her know about all of them over again. And the wife's like, if he brings it up one more time, I'm going to scream. And meanwhile, Prince Charming, you have offended your wife probably 472 times. Oh, I, I felt the clap. Oh, be careful. Someone was getting ready to throw a stone from that glass house. They're like, ah, oh, maybe. They're like, amen. Oh, oh. oh, my goodness. Oh, my friends. Listen, when Jesus was being tortured, when he was being crucified, he never taunted any of his tormentors. He never uttered ugly words or cries of pain. He never allowed anger to control him. No, he prayed out loud to his father, forgive him. And yet we're the worst at forgiving other people. In John chapter 11, the Bible reminds me in verse number 42 that Jesus was sure, he was sure that his father always heard him when he prayed. You can be sure that when we pray, we have the attention of Almighty God. You say, well, I don't know, he hasn't answered my prayer. Oh, maybe he answered it, you just didn't like the answer. Maybe, maybe his answer was no. I remember when I took the boulder to the shin a few years ago. I was laying out by Route 29, and I couldn't get up on this leg. I was like a wounded, wounded little puppy dog. I, I was like, Lord, help me get up. And I tried to stand up, and then I fell back down. And what's crazy is my message for that week was entitled, When God Says No. And I remember laying down on the side of the highway and I said, God, please take this pain away from me. Lord, allow me to walk up the hill so that someone can see that I'm hurt, that someone can see that I'm bleeding. And so I, after I prayed this prayer, I'm like, Lord, please, please, please strengthen me. Give me, give me the ability to walk. I literally stand up and I try to take a step and I fall right back down. I said... Oh, I get it. Your answer is no. <laughs> Do you know that sometimes God answers no because he loves you? Sometimes he says yes, and then sometimes he says, no, you just hold on a bit. You wait a little while. I'm working things out. And you don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for your benefit. See, in praying, Jesus expresses his faith in relation to his Father, and he also expresses his confidence that not only God his Father would hear him, but that he would answer him. And by the way, it was prophesied that Jesus would intervene. He would become an intercessor. 
In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 12, the Bible reminds us that the Messiah would pour out his soul unto death, that he would be numbered with the transgressors, he would bear the sin of many, and look at the very end, it says that he would be making intercession for the transgressors. It was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Oh my gracious folks, Jesus teaches us that forgiveness starts with prayer. And when you and I humble ourselves enough to pray, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in and through us. And he does it through prayer. Our willingness and ability to grant forgiveness is never about God working in someone else's heart. I, I hear prayers all the time. God, I just wish you would, I just wish you would uh, uh, get this person right so that they would know they've done wrong, that they would understand how much they've hurt me, that they would, that, that God, maybe you would uh, give them a little spanking, so to speak. Where do we get that in Scripture? Sometimes we pray for somebody else's demise instead of praying for our own selves to get right. Listen, it's never about God working in someone else's heart. It's always about what he does in mine. If we're not able to humble ourselves and pray, then forgiving others is going to be really impossible. Notice the last part of verse 34. See, it says they parted his raiment. After he says forgive them, it says they parted his raiment and they cast lots. And many people suggest that because it's connected there in verse 34, that when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. That Jesus is only saying, forgive the soldiers who were nailing him to the cross. I got some good news for you. Tell them I said hi, whoever's calling. I had a professor one time, kid's phone rang in Bible college, and he said, give me the phone. It was amazing. He says, give me the phone. And the kid brought the phone up, and he's like, and it's still ringing. The professor answers the call, and it's one of our classmates who's not there. It's amazing. He goes, hello, Dr. Gleason. I remember just like, yeah. And, and the kid's like, hello, hello. I was trying to, and he says, oh, we're, we're missing you. You know, we are in hermeneutics right now. Where are you? Oh, you're in Kansas City. Oh, what are you doing in Kansas City? Oh, okay. Well, maybe you can join us on Wednesday for class. Click. And he hands it back to him. Listen, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves that it wasn't just about the Roman soldiers. The Jews had no clue what they were doing either. You say, well, it was the Roman soldiers. They were acting in ignorance. They had no clue that he was Messiah. Here's a news flash for you. None of them knew he was Messiah. They all debated and disputed whether Jesus was who he said he was. And so I would suggest that, yes, if you want to be narrowly focused and say he's only speaking to the Roman soldiers, good. And that's great. And hermeneutically, you might be correct. But I would suggest to you that he's speaking to all of them and you and I as well. Because we have no clue what we're doing many times. You see, in a broader sense, no one, no one had a clue what they were doing to Jesus and across the board. Everything that they were doing was done in ignorance. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and following says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Notice verse 8, which none 
of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you know that there's no other religion that teaches people to pray and forgive their enemies? People want to beat down Christianity all the time. Christianity is the only religion, the only worshipers that are taught to pray and to forgive their enemies. I wonder who's on his throne now. You see, people's hatred for Jesus has blinded their eyes. But he's on the cross and his response is compassion. He literally begs his father to pardon them. And I put down in my notes, what about us? When somebody does us wrong. When somebody says something about us, whether it's true or not. By the way, part of the reason we get mad with people is because what they've said is true. We just don't want anybody to know it. That reminds us that we need to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We have to be careful what kind of light we're putting out. See, when you and I feel like we're being crucified by our family, our friends, our boss, our co-workers, or some other person, the question is how do we respond? Are we willing to forgive or even pray to God to forgive someone else that has wronged us? Or are we always consumed with ourselves? You see, Jesus is teaching us as his disciples or followers, he's teaching us from the very cross that you and I as Christians, as believers, as disciples ought to be oasis of forgiveness. We ought to be an oasis of forgiveness. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to start exactly where Jesus did. By forgiving the people that have hurt us, offended us, mistreated us, used us, abused us, or even talked about us. Sometimes even our closest friends, watch this, sometimes even our closest friends don't even know what they're doing. Say, well, this guy and I have been friends, this girl and I have been friends for 30 years. That doesn't guarantee that they will always do what's right, nor does it guarantee that we will do what is right all the time. And the sad fact is the answer is forgiveness. You know, I can only imagine. You know, the Bible says, Father, forgive them for they, right? They. Now just think about they. I wonder what they, throughout my 50 year, three years, have said about me. Can I tell you? It doesn't matter. The answer should still be forgiveness. My wife taught me this lesson when we were in Missouri. My wife was a female in a male-dominated world, serving at Baptist Bible College. A lot of pastors, a lot of men who like to have... Independent Baptists are the world's worst. They want to be independent in their church, but they want to govern everybody else. That won't cost you anything. That's just an observation that I saw at Bible college. And I remember one specific pastor who had allowed the devil to get a hold of his tongue through his typewriter, and he sent a letter to the college and he said some things that he shouldn't have said. I was ready to throw down. I was ready to fly to Georgia. He happened to be from Georgia. I won't tell you that he was from Savannah, but anyway, <laughs> uh, he doesn't pastor anymore, he's retired. I put him in retirement. No, no, no. 
<laughs> no, I didn't, no. Shucks, everybody. My wife knows this is true. I'm going to go down there and teach that man a lesson. And she said, stop. Slow your roll, Rocky. And I was like, watch this. No man talks about my wife and gets away with it. Something I told you when you were about four years old. That's a true statement. And I said, I'm going to go down there and teach him a lesson because he's hurt you. He's, he's said things that are not right. He's said things that are ungodly. He has besmirched your character. That's a big word. Look it up. I said, he has slandered you. I'm going to go teach him a lesson. Thank God for godly wives. She said, what kind of lesson are you going to teach him? You get, okay, you, you get all puffed up. You're going to go teach him a lesson about what it is to be godly. <laughs> yes! <laughs> she says, what's the Bible say about your enemies or those that despitefully use you and all that kind of stuff? I was like, I don't want to read that verse right now. <laughs> Aren't we terrible? Sometimes I'm so thankful for the amazing grace of God. But I'll tell you what more, I'm, I'm also thankful for his mercy. You know, grace has given me something I uh, don't deserve and mercy is withholding what I do deserve. Guys, we have to be so careful. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Someone has suggested, and I'll wrap this up, someone has suggested that what you and I need to do is we need to take a piece of paper or an index card, if you please, and we need to write the first part of Luke 23, 34 on it. Just write it up there. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then down the left-hand side, I want you to write the name of somebody that's hurt you all the way down. You say, man, there's a lot. Then get four or five sheets of paper. I don't care. You write them all down and, and be brief about it. I'm not asking you to write a novel, but just put out what they've done to hurt your feelings, what they've done to anger you, what they've done to make you mad, and then write it all down. And then when you feel really good about it, then take that same piece or pieces of paper and go to the right side and out beside each one just write one word, forgiven, 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 all the way down. And when you get done with that, look at it good and long and then rip it up and throw it away. That's what Jesus was doing when he was on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They're ignorant of what they're doing. Two things, and we close. Can I tell you that people don't need to know how much they've hurt you for you to forgive them? They don't need to. Listen, it's like, I'm gonna, I'll forgive you, Mark, but let me just tell you, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. And Mark's like, please don't. Please don't. There's not very much there. Please don't. Right? I'll forgive you, but not until you know how much you've hurt me. Until you've, until you've scarred me. Until you know the pain that I felt. By the way, that's a selfish desire, not a biblical mandate. And I know what some of you are thinking, because some of you are sneaky. Some of you are sneaky. You say, well, hold on a second there, Pastor. In Matthew chapter 18... In Luke chapter 17, they talk about a process. It says, I'm going to go to the, my brother who offended me. And I'm going to let him know what he did to me. 
And if he doesn't listen to me, then I take him before two or three. And if they don't listen to me, we're going to take him before the church and we're going to hang them high and we're going to let them know what they've done. No, that's not what the Bible says. Be very careful because here's the deal. When you're, focused, when you're so focused on the process more than the person or the problem, you've already lost. Well, Matthew chapter 18 says I got to do it. Luke chapter 17 confirms that I'm going to let them know. No, Jesus, think about this. Jesus on the cross, he never looked at Judas who betrayed him and said, mm, do you know what you did? He never looked at the Jewish leaders that had falsely accused him and had all the people shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He never looked at Herod Caiaphas or Caiaphas' father-in-law, Annas. He never looked at Pontius Pilate. He never looked at the Roman soldiers. He never looked at, and by the way, the Roman soldiers were the ones who whipped him and beat him and spit upon him. And they're parting his garments and they're gambling over him. He never looked at all of them and said, guys, do you know how much you've hurt me? You have hurt me? No, he just started praying. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Folks, we, we spend way too much time arguing. We spend way too much time trying to tell someone just how badly they've hurt us, how badly they've infringed upon our friendship, how badly they've abused us in some way, while at the same time ignoring the simple, straightforward example of Jesus that he set for us while he's on the cross that simply says, Father, forgive them. Ephesians 4, 32. Scott, I was over visiting the breedings, teaching the grandkids this, or his niece is a nephew, nephew's a niece. Ephesians 4, 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, people don't know, have to know how much they've hurt you for you to forgive them. And then lastly, Jesus' death on the cross has extended forgiveness to everyone in this room, everyone that is listening, everyone who will ever hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been extended. Think about it. He's on the cross, and if we take the one commentator's suggestion that he is being nailed to the cross while he says this, Jesus is actually asking God to forgive his murderers. I know there are a lot of people who say, I've done way too much. I've said too much. I've done too much. I've, I, I, I've lied. I've cheated. I've stole. I've done this. I've done that. There's no way God could ever forgive me. Oh, listen, you're never too far from God's reach. God loves you. He sent his son to the cross. By the way, why did Jesus have to ask his father to forgive them? You see, Jesus is well equipped to forgive sin. But in that moment, when he's on the cross, he has become sin. He no longer has the ability or the authority in that moment to forgive sin. And so he does what he can do. He says... I can't do it. I have become sin. I am now sin for the world. And so all I can do is pray and ask my Father to forgive you. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing right there? Jesus, the one who is God, was all man. And in that moment on the cross... He has become humanity. He has become sin for you and me. And God cannot look upon sin. And in that moment, we know that the Father had to turn his back on his only son. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You're never too far 
from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, if God can forgive those who were crucifying His Son, He can forgive you and He can forgive me of our sin. The point and the question becomes, will you receive His forgiveness? Will you receive it? And I pray that you will. I'd like to have every head bowed, everyone praying. The opportunity that is before us is twofold. If you're a believer here this morning, maybe you need to let some things go. Maybe you need to take out your piece of paper or the proverbial index card and write down some names today. Or maybe you just need to catalog them in your heart and then send them to the recycle bin, if you please, and get rid of them. Maybe that's you this morning. You say, I need to forgive somebody. I need to let go. I've been holding on to my anger. I've been holding on to some bitterness. I've been holding on to some things that I really ought to let go of. And I really need to forgive somebody. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.